Hi, Tom Bernard here. You're listening to Best of the Family. Enjoy the show. Thanks for listening. Michael Bryant, Brad, Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who've been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters will want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know, And that's exactly my my question is, you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Back in the saddle again. We're back in the saddle again. Okay, Gene Autry, what's that all about? Well, after our normal break, Coon Rapids Nissan and Walzer Nissan are back on the air with 10 months of terrible commercials. Ever think of hiring a copywriter? That's pretty good. Hey, we're selling cars, not carpets. Anyways, too expensive. Check out our new press release. This just in, Burnsville Nissan and Coon Rapids Nissan have started out 2022 as the number one and number two dealers in the state of Minnesota. Jason Leckler has been quoted as saying, this is the year I bump off Dan Resch. He studied animal husbandry for crying out loud. Dan replied with, blow it, J-Lo. What do you think? Mm, maybe you should hire a copywriter. Cool that they're leading the sales race, though. That's good. Yeah, it's actually more than good. Because they were so dominant last year, we've earned more than our fair share of new Nissans. We have 40 Altimas available for March and 120 Rogues. Check out the huge selection of Nissans at Burnsville Nissan and Coon Rapids Nissan. Hey folks, Brian Zepp here. Spring is gearing up, and if you're like me, you've already got the itch to hit the road. Make sure you and your motorcycle are ready with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, metric cruiser, or sport bike, you'll find what you need at DennisKirk.com. They've got 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets too. Order before 8 p.m. and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Get in gear and head to DennisKirk.com. Take it from Zap. They ship today. And the baby looks around him and shares his pay with a in the palace of Does anybody want to hear our Frozen Broadway musical review? No. Love to hear it. <laughs> oh, no, no, I do not want to hear it. Of course I do. I asked about it. It was great. It really was. It was really great. It was a giant pain in the ass. In a Why? lot of ways, because you have to get there really early and pre-check for, you know, COVID oh, vaccine cards oh. and all that crap. Fun. And then, um, so you have to be there super early to do that. Then we went over to Rock Bottom Brewery. Oh, okay. Thinking that when you look at the, the restaurant, 90% of the tables were empty that you could get in. Yep. We're in a line about, what do you think, 20 people deep? Yeah. 
that took maybe 15 minutes to get seated because everybody's so shorthanded. Mm. We get in, and they're like, do you have a reservation? We said no. And she said, well, it's a 45-minute wait. Oh. oh. But this guy who was seating people said that we could, he would seat us. So we're in the bar area. Yeah. So we get in there, and what it was an hour and ten minutes, and we finally said we need the bill because we can't. Eat. Well, we got we got because <laughs> we didn't get any. We, we got didn't Fawn's get food. food. Yeah, we did get food. Well, okay. we got Fawn's food. We got my food, but oh yeah, you Sage got never food. got his, and I you never, never got, got your burger. Mine. But then the waitress was like, everything's been comped because they ended up having to oh. comp. One well, of the cooks wow. didn't show up, and so wow. and then she gave us. Glasses of wine that were like these, they were a fish bowl I, of wine. It was like 10, 15 ounces of wine. I was like, what is happening? It's like very drink large. up at, uh, at the Cinema Grill. Do you ever get one of those cocktail no. things? No. They come out in like fish bowls. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. basically what this was. It was yeah. humongous. We were like, uh. So at least they comped it, but we didn't yeah. get to eat. So. Oh, we did and get Sage out, didn't get to eat? Was, well, he Sage, got to eat he, some of yours. Yeah. Did he make it to the play? That's the question. He made it. He, he made did. It. So invested. Wow, nice. In Frozen the God, musical. He was, he like, was leaning crabby forward. on the way there. So crabby. But then he ate and then he was fine. But like anytime Where something did he happened. Eat? He didn't get to eat the rock. No, bottom. he did eat. We got I got a flatbread and then Fawn got a <laughs> little tiny personal pizza. pizzas for four people. Hey, better than nothing. I mean it was yeah, it was something. We survived. Giovanni's phone is going right to voicemail. Let me see here. But Sage would be leaning in Yo, and something would happen and he would be like, after the tone. Yeah. Well what the hell? Maybe you should text Cassie. Pick it up. He'd be leaning in and something would happen. He'd be like, oh, no, Anna. Yeah, he was really into and it. it. was just, and then Olaf would make jokes, and he'd be like, <laughs> oh, my God, he's so You know, I think we should turn to uh, a young man in studio right now, and he can Uh-oh. explain it to us in mm-hmm. Frozen. Yeah, showed up. How is I'm it here. possible that a black man? Oh God! I knew you were going to bring that up to <laughs> two white children. How'd that happen? It was a black you know, the, man and an Asian woman. Oh, she was Asian. She was Asian. Mm, I didn't know she was Asian. Yeah, it's, you, Asian. you have to you have to abandon your social norms mm-hmm. when you're going to the theater. Yeah, there's yeah, like a sure Punnett Square. I'm sure that somewhere explains <laughs> how, how, how it can happen. And this and what, yeah. okay. I didn't know Anna and Elsa were adopted. And also, like walking in on the back half because sometimes you went to Rock Bottom Brewery, didn't get your food before the show. Yep. As somebody that's worked downtown yeah. during like theater oh rushes at a restaurant, sounds horrible. it is a nightmare. I'm like, sure it is. Absolutely terrible. All, especially when there's like kids involved, because then there's just extra steps and all of that. But yeah, oh, that yeah. sounds like a very familiar yeah. thing that I've had. But to we were deal like, with, we whereas, sat down. We were like, we will have this food immediately. Like we were just like, we want to mm-hmm. get in and out. We don't want to. And they're like, you. you're going to the play. It's gonna be. Yep. It's gonna be slow. It'll be a good half an hour before you get the food. It was an hour and mm-hmm. ten minutes. Oh, and then what? Because one <laughs> of the cooks didn't show up, and she was like. Also, I yeah. don't believe that one of the cooks didn't show up. Yeah. That is the most common excuse that I've told oh, to millions really? of yeah, people. Like, yeah, wait, so you've lied multiple times about oh, this? Oh, a thousand percent. It's not my fault. <laughs> it wasn't There's a cook even. In the back. You it were wasn't go check. full. Not it was close. not full though, so I really yeah. do not think close. the sun staff oh, okay. didn't so show up. So why is it so slow if there's not a, if everybody's oh, there? There's, it's, it's the service issue. There's a lot of just shenanigans that go in in the back of the house. And, and just, you're talking before COVID. Oh yeah, before COVID. Like, so this is a long-standing problem. Yeah, no, oh. no, no, no. This is yeah. Like, oh really? Oh yeah. There, you blame it on whoever the guest can't see. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a sense. thousand oh, percent. Oh, like, like, okay, it's not my fault. Like I'm not gonna own. Like people aren't just gonna own up to like, oh yeah, I forgot to put your order in. No, it's the cook in the back. He 
Did Grandma passed away. <laughs> emotional distress. Yeah, we're just gonna pass the love. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, but the play was great. It was great. The dealing with going to well, a play is not it. fun. I'm very excited about that. Yes. Oh, he absolutely. Like, he loved it. He was all. I was very worried that he wasn't going to want to do this. Many was, years ago, I took the boys to the Wiggles in St. Paul at the, the Civic Wiggles. Center. Oh. The Wiggles. Mm-hmm. That's horrible. And they horrible. both refused to walk. <laughs> yes. They both refused to walk. So I had to carry both of them. Oh my God. Like, what is with little kids? Have they no gratitude? <laughs> so yes, I'm, I'm quite well aware of the of the issues of getting them in, God. and then they enjoyed it. They had a great time, but oh. they, they just both refused to we, walk. We get into the parking lot, and what what was he saying? He's saying in this little tiny voice. I guess I have to go home now. I guess I'll just stay in the car. <laughs> I guess we're, oh we're going to have to go home now. Yeah, Why did like he have to stay weird. in the car? Oh, he was super mad that we had a little mad. bit of traffic getting into downtown Minneapolis. Oh, and I'm like, wow. oh, my God, he's Bop Bop's grandson <laughs> right well, there. Where did that come from? The whole thing was, <laughs> we had to sit through a light. Forget it. <laughs> the whole thing was is that he could not tolerate that there was any time in that day that he wasn't in Frozen musical. <laughs> like he got up, got dressed, well, and then went in my car. I and he think... sat in my car for 40 minutes by himself because he was just like, when can we go? Well, we need to go. What? We and need then to go. by the time we met her, because I was like, oh, we have to go to the podcast studio parking lot because we met here and then drove downtown. It's like, and he was like, not the podcast studio. It was like, no, we're going to get Nana and then we're going to go. And remember, we have to check in, we have to get lunch, and then we'll go to the play. And then, yeah, and then there was tr- three minutes of traffic, yeah. and then he just was like, oh, I guess we have to go home. Was like, oh, he was drama wow. king extraordinaire. It was, it was And then he I got some like, food, oh, and then he was fine. Ew. It's shocking. I don't Me? Know. 100%. I don't know. I'm not invested in this deal. Yeah. Okay. I didn't go to Frozen. You did. Yeah. The whole day going to Venom. When are we going to get there? When are we going to go? When are we going to get yeah. there? Yeah. Where's Michael Bryant to go to Venom? We're already late. We're already late. Yeah. By the way, you're 0 for 2. One more, and I'm never going to move with you again. I didn't make the call on that one. Oh, oh yeah. Not a good Your movie. review of the movie. Venom's <laughs> not a good movie? Horrendous. It made, me laugh. it made me laugh a couple Spider-Man. times. Spider-Man. It was it was oh, tough to hear him talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it so was. Be, it there was. were things that he'd say you couldn't movie? tell what he said. Oh, okay. And then he, do you know, there were a lot of quotes from other movies in that yeah, that were, he used. Yeah. Oh, so, no, there was. So you have to watch. You, have to, you should watch <coughs> yeah. the series before you know. No, what's going on. there isn't. It's, it's not, not got nothing. No. It's like murder. Venom? He uses words from other other things. Spider Man wasn't in it. They no. they've kept Spider Man separate oh, from it, what, even what though he came from Spider Man. Venom is it's, a Spider Man yeah. character. He, like, well, oh, he's uh, he's yeah. Spider Man's black suit that yeah. came from the alternate universe. Yep. Oh, well, yeah. Cool. And the first really movie was good. <laughs> the first movie was good. The Got second it. movie was not as good. It's it was not as well, good. So it made me laugh sometimes. So Sage <laughs> wants to be. There is a children's show, an animated show on Disney Plus called Spidey and His yep. Amazing Friends. It's a child Spider Man. And he has like a there's a girl one named Ghost Spider and then mm-hmm. there's Spin and they're like, you know, kids that save the day. And Sage wants to be Spidey for Halloween, not Spider Man. But Spidey. And mm-hmm. I'm like, there are no Spidey costumes. They're all Spider Man costumes. The only difference and, is that Spidey right? has a gigantic head. Yeah, Spidey so. has like a huge head and I'm like, I don't think he'll care. But there are so many different colors of Spider Man. There's like oh, a yeah. dark oh. blue one, a black one, a silver. I'm like, what really? is going on? How did I, I yeah, thought it was so. always royal blue and red. No. No? 
There's okay. a lot of different I spider. And this venom person, yeah, they're in there. And then spin is the blue one. I'm, oh. it's, it's a lot. And it's really <laughs> difficult to find a Spider-Man costume right now. Is there? Apparently. Really? Hmm. I've been looking, and I cannot find one in his size. And I'm like, well, I have Even on the too. interwebs? Nope. Are you trying to find Target. one to return? I guess you're going to have to whip out like that old sewing no. machine. Joanne Fabrics is calling your name. Absolutely not. No, what you. kind of mother are you? <laughs> Terrible one. <laughs> the worst. I had a friend when I was a kid named Terry. I can't say his last name because I'd be ratting out his family. Right. But he wanted to go as, I don't know, as Superman or one of his. I want to, and he's, the kid's like eight or nine, something like mm-hmm. that. Probably think it was eight. We were eight years old at the time. He wanted to go as, I think, Superman. And his dad was a drunk. Let me just put it that way. So I'm talking about my brother. Let me do So we just we just, you know, we gotta go with that dad was a booze on, right? And I was over at his house, and Terry kept bringing up his dad. We have to go to the store. I have to get my Superman costume. I, I haven't got it yet. i got to go to the store. Let's go to the store. And he kept doing it. Finally, his dad got up and goes, Jesus. <laughs> goes in the other room, finds this ratty-ass shirt, gives it to the kid and goes, just go as a bum. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we all went. We were Let's hobos. hobos. We were all hobos, hobos. all You'd the time. You'd always be a hobo. <laughs> You'd always be a... You smudge something on your face. Oh, you got to put the stuff on your face. We had this <laughs> weird hat that was plastic, and <laughs> oh. we were a hobo. No. Did you have the cigar? <laughs> no. Did the cigar no. come with the hat? No. Because no. I think I was carrying around like a so. cardboard sign. Wait, where are we? One of those top hats yeah. where the top is going like Yeah, this. like sideways. Yeah. I believe we have Giovanni on the phone. Who's that buster... Buster the, Keaton? Buster Keaton. Was it Buster Keaton, the actor that always paid bums? The Tramp? No. Yeah, the Tramp. Who was the Tramp? Yeah, what was that guy? Maybe Giovanni Rocco knows. <laughs> Maybe. Giovanni. Giovanni. That was Charlie Howard. Chaplin. Oh, was Charlie no, Chaplin. it wasn't Chaplin, wasn't though. Chaplin did play the... He did the, play the Tramp, though. Yeah, the Tramp. Oh. Yeah. Somebody. Red Skelton. Yeah, that's right. That's it. Yeah, yep, it was Red Skelton. Oh. Giovanni Rocco, our special guest. The book is called Giovanni's Ring, My Life Inside the Real Sopranos. How you doing, sir? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing extremely well. Uh, you know that was. I like the way you said. I'm. I'm doing oh well. How are you? Because you set the tone. I like setting the tone. Works for me. The story of a former FBI undercover task force officer who spent years penetrating New Jersey's Cavalcante crime family, um, the criminal organization known to law enforcement as the Real Sopranos. Now, did, is it true, by the way, that the the Cavalcante family were credited with taking people for a ride. Do you know about that, Giovanni? <laughs> There's a lot of guys in Costa Norte to take people for a ride and never come back. It wasn't just the decals. Most of the families do that. But the, the Cavalcante, the ca- Cavalcante actually means ride. Oh. That's yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, applies to, it applies across the board. It applies across the board. You didn't want to go for a ride with some of the guys. Anyway. So- <laughs> I understand that, Giovanni. Where were you located? New York or New Jersey or where? I was located in New York, New Jersey area. The Cavacantes that I was infiltrating were based out of New Jersey, Elizabeth, New Jersey. Okay. So, uh, but they're, you know, they're headquartered out of New York with the, the New York family overseeing them. How is that, Giovanni? I mean, obviously, for people like me, I've only seen it in the movies. You've seen it in real life. It didn't look like it was the safest job to have. How, how did that feel, infiltrating a, a mob family? God. In the beginning, I thought it was going to be pretty cool because, you know, I grew up around this thing and I grew up in it being a Hudson County kid and being a, you know, Jersey City kid. I I knew the I knew the life. I knew my way around it. But when I realized how deep I was going in, 
Um, in the beginning, it was pretty good. And then as I got further and further, because this was not intended to be an organized crime case. This was just a simple, not a simple, it was a federal narcotics case that spun into me infiltrating organized crime. So uh, as we went further right down this rabbit hole, um, the anxiety suffered, the trauma, it sounds crazy, this mental trauma that I went through every day, um, just the, the, the toxic environment that you're getting yourself into while trying to manage your own family, just intense. Yeah, I can't even imagine, because, I mean, you have to worry about being found out every single second. <coughs> mm-hmm. It could just be every a chance encounter. And you're being looked at, right. Yeah. Yeah, you're being looked at. You know, some guys are jealous because you're close to people higher up. And why all of a sudden do you get to be around the higher ups? Well, I've been in this thing my whole life, oh. and I don't get to be around them. So, other you know, when, when you say people are jealous, people in the family are jealous, or sure, mm-hmm. it's just like it's run like cor- corporate America. Okay. If I come in and I'm, I'm some contractor that came in from the outside, and you know I come into your corporation, I move my way up to the to the CEO or COO, you're going to look at me like you know how did I get here? How the hell did I make my way in? And, right. uh, you know, you've been working your whole life from the mailroom up. And you haven't gotten to where I've been, and I, you know, here I am with um, right under a captain. I come in, and my my captain was a soldier at the time when he got out of prison, and he was just made captain. So uh, you know the stars aligned for the case, but for me, it was a lot of jealousy involved too. So when you're kind of when you're assigned this kind of thing, you're told. I don't understand how you don't give yourself away because you're you're trying to find something out. So your mm-hmm. end game could be sort of obvious because otherwise you're going to be in there forever. I, I don't, I don't know. Um, really, yeah, you, you could be. Yeah. I just, well, I, you're, you're going to go where the case takes you. Any case we ever did, you, you go where the evidence leads you. Um, okay. We're not going to just go on a wild goose chase. We go in with a purpose and we, we assess it and we evaluate where the case would go. And we, we would hope to have a good grasp on it. But, uh, you know, a case, it gets out of control sometimes and we have to wait and see where these guys are going to bring us, you know, if you start asking, hey, could you introduce me to that guy, Tom? That guy, Tom, is your yeah. friend. Could you introduce yeah. me to him? Well, why why do you want to meet Tom, Giovanni? Well, that's what I mean. <laughs> I mean, it's got, it's got to take forever. Oh, I'm using you. Because to... it's your show. Oh. <laughs> Thank you, Giovanni. I appreciate it. <laughs> but doesn't it take forever to get the information then? How long were you undercover with them? Well, this case in particular was a, um, it was a long-term undercover, what we consider to be a long-term um, it was just shy of three years. Oh, that's wow. too long. Which is unheard of. I'd be yeah. a disaster. A <laughs> and is it is it hard not to like lose yourself in that three year span where oh, you're so yeah. close to the to the family and you start having those kind of relationships with people? It, it is, especially uh, for me. It was, you know, and I'm very raw in my book, and I share those emotions in the book because I want people to understand. What we do is undercovers, you know, how, what we sacrifice. Just to, it's our personal trauma, but it's also the trauma we bring home to our families every day or when we can't get home to our families. By the end of this case, I was living part-time in Las Vegas. I had an apartment in New York, and, you know, I'm trying to get back to my regular, my true-life family when I could. Oh. Um, so there's that balance of just, you know, it's, it's, it's crazy. So did you stay in after it was done? I'm sorry? Did you stay in the force after it was done, or did you, was this the end? No. No, this was the end for my career. This forced me. Uh, I went into relocation. Okay. Um, the government Ooh, relocated me wow. because of this case. It was, uh, you know, I was fortunate to have enough time to retire. I was just about that, that point in my career. I was nowhere near done, um, and that that piles on a little bit of trauma onto me as well, and you know the anxiety because I wasn't ready to give this job up. I'm a young guy. I would have did this job. This is what I believe in, and I believe uh, law enforcement was, was my life. You know, I'm third generation. I'm married into law enforcement. 
so uh, yeah, we were forced. I was re- I retired and I was relocated. Uh, Giovanni, you and I have something in common. We both uh, they somebody gave you the name and gave me the name. They called you Giovanni Gatto. And my nickname when I was a little boy was Top Cat because my voice dropped yeah. very deep when I was young. <laughs> Remember Top Cat, the little, little cartoon character? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I I was, so you were, you were Johnny Cat and I was Top Cat. We're probably related uh, somewhere. It all worked out here. Where would you get the name? Where did you get the name Giovanni Gatto? Um, well, it's personal to me. I mean, you know, uh, oh, Giovanni okay. is the name I grew up. I, right. I grew up with that, you know. Um, but there's different names you come up with, um, and there's tradecraft to creating the names that I um, that I was taught along the way. Gatto is just something I can familiarize myself with. Um, easy to easy to spell, easy to remember. You know, don't forget when somebody yells Gatto or Giovanni, your head better turn like it's your real name. Right, so right. You have to pick something, you know. If it doesn't, and you go, oh, who, who do they call me? You're not deaf. They called you three times, you know? Right. You don't, you don't name. And something like that is enough to set off bells and whistles. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah. so yeah. with the yeah. Internet now, how do you go undercover? So, Ooh, yeah. Good question. Mm, I wish I could tell you all that. Drag me out of my house. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of trade craft involved. So there, there are elements of, you know, like anybody today, though, if you think about it, people could go reinvent themselves on a computer and the Internet, social media in a heartbeat. But yeah. there is a lot of work that goes into it. So, you know, I had different um, different identities, different social security numbers. Giovanni Gatto was not my only identity. This is the identity I use for this in a couple other cases. But. Yeah, I had different social security numbers, different dates are criminal histories, credit checks to be done. You have to know all of that. So yeah. There's um, a lot that goes How many there. years had to go by before you can come out of hiding, so to speak? Oh, I don't, I don't know. That's, I don't know. I can't answer that. Yeah. I mean, you know, That's still safety, a, I don't know. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, can, oh. I can't tell you if he's out or not. You never, <laughs> so, you never exactly. get to get out. That's so does sweet. your book yeah, cover? I don't, I, I don't know. Does your book cover after you, after they found out who you were, does that cover if you had any interchanges with them after? Um, it doesn't really get into the interchanges after or, the, or the, the trial or, you know, what happened with the police that they put out. Nothing after. After the arrest, it covers a little bit of that. Some of the guys, you know, when the takedown happened, um, I know, you know, from the FBI agents that had done the arrest and at the houses, they were, you know, they reported back to me. Some of my guys, and ultimately I was running a crew for my captain, for Chicago wow. Stengel. I was running his crew. So guys were reporting to me. So much so that his own son was underneath me. Wow. Was oh. me. So yeah. were, you, were you doing collections, or what were you doing as far as a crew goes? Yeah, I, I would I would do the collections from whatever scheme or scam we had going on or whatever I had going on, and I would, you know, fly out to Vegas, and I would kick up to my captain, or he would come to Jersey, and I'd kick up to him. Or, you know, we had other means to mail it. But, uh, yeah, he expected his, his, his piece of it. And whatever I had going on, he wanted to cut. And then that would go up further to whatever he did with that money, whether he kept some or he kicked up some to the administration. That's the way Costa Nostra works. So. I'm getting an anxiety attack just talking about this. Is there like a moment that sticks out to you is like, <laughs> that you're like, oh, my gosh, like I'm in this undercover where you had to question like your morality of, of what you're doing? No, I think the the um, the morality of it I didn't get hit with until later. But the moment that my aha moment was when he explained to me I was going to kill somebody on behalf of the family. Oh, so I was given yeah. the order to, to yep. take out a guy. Oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh. Oh no. 
So, oh, oh, the, family, the family Uh-oh. found out. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. going to say, oh, I was ordered to take out a guy. And I thought it was the cavalcante on the phone here. I seriously here. don't know how these guys That was that question. <laughs> Way to go, <laughs> I advised against asking that question, but Way he asked go, it. Tim. Why don't we take a break here while he's... Uh, uh, yeah, we can do that. We'll while take you're a break trying to right reconnect, because we'll, this we'll is really back. interesting. The 2022 Bloomington Boat Show is here and going on now. Get out of the cold and into a 25 thousand square foot heated showroom at Dan Southside Marine. A huge inventory of boats means the best deals of the year. Over 60 boats on display from Premier, Avalon, Berkshire, Alumacraft, and more. Explore what's new for 2022 at the Bloomington Boat Show at Dan Southside Marine. Six blocks west at 35W on 98th Street in Bloomington. Visit bloomingtonboatshow.com. Tom Bernard talking with Brad Huckle and Michael Bilski of North American Banking Company. We've talked a few times over the years about how North American Banking Company has helped local businesses when they're ready for expansion. We love talking about the success of our customers. One example is suburban manufacturing in Monticello. They create innovative products that produce clean, dry air that is needed during the manufacturing process. We recently helped them expand their business. Moving into a new building gave them the space they needed to add new equipment and production lines. We were able to step in quickly and provide the financing they needed when they needed it. When we help businesses like suburban manufacturing with their expansion, it's beneficial for our customers, but their growth also creates new jobs in our community. So they make stuff that produces clean, dry air for manufacturing after working with Bilski. Do they breathe easier with their business belt? We certainly hope so, Tommy, and that's no hot air. Nice one. Why not bank with my banker? North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and equal housing lender. You all have helped build MyPillow into the incredible company it is today and have trusted in Mike Lindell to give you a great night's sleep. Mike's latest incredible deal is on the Giza Dream Sheets, which you've heard me rave about before, that's for sure. These sheets are made from the world's best cotton, Giza. They are ultra soft and breathable, yet extremely durable. Right now, the Giza Dream Sheets at its lowest price ever. These sheets are 60% off, coming in as low as $39.99 with promo code TOM. And we're we're kind of concerned a little bit that our undercover guy and Giovanni Rocco just, just all of a sudden disappeared. Yeah, right? God. Yeek. But I'm back. Oh, oh my God. God. Giovanni, we thought for sure there was a big, I stirred the wrong uh, pot <laughs> or something happened. Yeah, my location. <laughs> no, we're never, never. No, so where did I drop off? Uh, you were just you were answering the question about. Oh, yeah, they asked you to murder somebody. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's good point. So, yeah, I mean, you know, when he gave me that order to murder somebody, that was when the stress started for me because I know if I didn't carry that order out or if I hesitated in any way or the government declined to do that, then that could be a death sentence for me. If the administration decided we're not going to go ahead with this, we decided we, you know, there was a little bit of a war brewing in the family at that time, a lot of backstory to it. But if the administration pulled the plug on this this hit, uh, that could be the end of me because I knew about it. Did you watch The Sopranos? I did. Yeah, I'm a Jersey guy. How did you like it? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I loved it. I loved it. You know, it was great. I mean, it was our, no matter what was going on in our life on a Sunday night, we needed to sit in front of that TV and, you know, you hear that music and then your heart starts pumping. You know, you didn't know what was coming up next. And, right. You know, for me, it's a lot of, I, I identify with a lot of it. And then uh, to live that, that was the hardest part. Like um, when I got, when I went on the record with the family and, and my captain introduced me to the bosses in the administration, 
that was like driving onto the set of a Sopranos episode. Because mm. I met at the pork store. We came around a corner oh, in Elizabeth, God. New Jersey. It's a and that was, uh, yeah, there was a lot of emotions flowing there. Wow. What an amazing and, story. You know, James Gandolfini, he passed during this case. So when I tried to go home and decompress, you know, they would have tributes to him on HBO, and I would flip through the channels looking for something just to unplug and unwind, and you right. hit with a Sopranos episode. So were you in it during the Sopranos? I was in it, no, afterwards. I came uh, in uh, okay. 2012, this case started. Yeah. Oh, okay. God, what a story this is. Giovanni, honestly, God, what a great story. I... I you know, I got to be honest with you, sitting there because I went to, I was a nice Catholic schoolboy myself, if you know what I mean. So I was around it. But what I loved about The Sopranos the most is he would remind me of a lot of the fathers in my neighborhood where I grew up. Like that time he's he's been, he was owed money by an Hasidic Jew, and the guy didn't gonna wasn't gonna pay him the money, so he pinned him up against the wall. And Tony Soprano goes, "Listen here, ZZ Top." See, that reminded me so much of my old neighborhood. It was, I love that stuff. <laughs> yeah, there were a lot of isms in this case. A lot of, I heard a lot of that stuff. You I guys bet. come up with some one-liners, you know. <laughs> and you can't help I, I, I have a habit of it. To, my, to this day, I still come up with one-liners, and, you know, my friends look at me like, where do you get this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it's good. It's the Paulie Walnuts, you know. Oh, Paulie Walnuts was as good as a guy. He, the fact that he would steal a coffee pot from uh, from Starbucks because they stole the idea oh, of the making espresso. coffee from Italians. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did, love that. Did it bother you at all that people kind of, uh, you know, liked The Sopranos or, you know, thought it was a good thing? Um, yeah, you know, you don't want to see any criminal organization be glorified, but... You know, I think people, they reach on to something. And in my neighborhood, I'm, listen, I'm a cop's kid, so I knew growing up that the cops couldn't take care of it in my neighborhood. It's gonna, you, You're going to get street justice either mm -hmm. way. So if you came into my old neighborhood, you know, if the cops couldn't take care of it and, and the mob guys would, they'll make so, it right, you know. So um, where did you grow up? So I grew up in Hudson County in, uh, you know, Jersey City, Bayonne, Hoboken. I grew up in Bayonne, New Jersey. That's okay. my neighborhood. So um, I was surrounded by it since birth. I mean, you know, these guys were long before uh, the John Gotti images came along. You know, I grew up around the guys like John DeGilio and Tino Fumara and all the old Genovese sure. guys. So uh, I knew that whole lifestyle. Yeah, I grew so up I in Rhode Island. some of these guys' backyards. You know? Yeah. I right. grew up in Rhode Island, so we had the Patriarchas. And I remember people yeah. talking about mm -hmm. them and seeing him walking down the street. And he had the biggest funeral that Rhode Island's ever seen. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And these, my guys had ties to, you know, my captain had ties to Patriarca. Yep. I mean, they had ties all over. He had ties across the across the country and into Italy, back to the old world. So these guys, it still runs that way today. Giovanni. They're a little, they're a little bit more underground, yes. Living in the area like that, I mean, so close to New York City, I mean, you're in New Jersey, you're in New York, all the rest of it. Were you ever scared that somebody would recognize you, who you really yeah. were, when mm -hmm. you went to dinner? Oh, yeah, all the time. I I, my head was on a swivel. Oh. Um, but at this point, I had lived a life of undercover work long enough where not too many people had seen me. Even my, my own police department where I used to work, they, they wouldn't recognize me. There were so many kids, you know, coming up. But there was a time when one of the guys in, in the organization had, we were doing a drug deal, and he needed to pick up my product for me. And, again, it was one of those things where just jump in the car, let's go. Well, where are we going? You know, just jump in. So yeah. we, we jumped in the car, and where are we heading? It was a 20-minute ride. And he brought me right back to my old neighborhood in Bayonne. 
right back. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, so that was one of those. Yeah, why don't, why don't I wait here and you run in and get the car? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, that would be like my biggest fear. Like you're just Ooh. out to eat and some random like old high school friend yeah. comes yeah. up and calls you by your actual name. Yeah. No. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, there's a lot of that. You have to be real careful. So, Jumang, when you got in now, you were already married at the time. Did you have children at the time when you first got in? I did, yeah. Mm -hmm. So how yep, was that I was warned by them? my wife this was going to be the end. How was it for them? Yeah, how was it for them? It got to be tough, I would imagine. Yeah, my wife had done some undercover work as well when we had met. Uh, she was law enforcement, and, you know, take her to leave it. She was smart enough. She left it behind. But, um, you know, she warned me this was going to be detrimental to our family. This is not going to end well for us. And But me and the addiction I had to this, this line of work and my, my addiction to adrenaline, I wanted to, I was, I was all in. So there was no slowing me down there, but it did. I mean, you know, it, it popped up and I talk about it in the book where I was in a, uh, at a soccer game for my young daughter at the time. And one of the Gambino guys that I was doing business with in another family, he was there at the soccer game and his oh. daughter was playing my daughter. Oh, oh and, my yeah. God. Yeah. So that was about as close as you can get. And then after that, we decided that was early on. And then after that, we decided that was it. There's no more public appearances as a family for us. Wow. So, um, you know, I, I would try to slide in and slide into a restaurant when we went out to eat. But, you know, it was really strange. Think about parking your car and watching your wife with a stroller and another kid and, you know, pushing these things. And then one kid is having a meltdown. You can't run up and help them. Oh, so yeah. That causes a lot of strife in your marriage. It's like, you know, this is this, this case is destroying us. Then I'm never there. You know, I'm always living someplace else, so it was a bit of a nightmare. Yeah. God, I would imagine so. Now, would would they have been considered part of the operation? I mean, the fact that you were with your family and you're the guy in the in the business with you has got his family. Was was your family looked at as just part of who you were? No, no. My persona was Giovanni Gatto. I didn't have a family. I was a runaround guy. Um, you know. I was just a, a wild. I didn't like kids. I didn't want to ever have kids. That was the person oh, that I took okay. on. Well, that's uh -huh. a good idea so, because yeah, they yeah. could hurt the family if right. you did something right. like, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. can never introduce your true mm -hmm. family. You know, no. you can never introduce the fact that, because we don't have undercover babies either, so. Yeah, undercover babies. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to be an undercover right. baby. That would have been great. I would have yeah. loved it. Yeah. Uh, so we're talking to Giovanni Rocco, Giovanni's ring, my life inside the real Sopranos. Um, as far as the sense of humor of The Sopranos, was there a whole lot of that in the DiCavalcante family? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We we sat around some of the, the belly laughs and the stuff, like I said before, the one-liners that they came out with. and just That was the best part. When they all came to my office or we were all sitting around, or you know, just the just being around, these guys were hysterical, you know. The, the, the things they said, some of them were not the most educated, so some of the things they said sure. were just out of this world, you know. Um, like really sometimes stupid. they didn't have a good grasp of the English language and they would just come up with different words and, you know, they would just, the isms were unbelievable. Was there a connection to Italy in the same way that there's in the Sopranos? Oh, yeah, yeah. We were, that was explained to me right out of the gate um, when my captain explained to me, once he realized I was going to be with him and I was going to represent him as his mouthpiece, he explained all of that to me and how it goes back to the old world and how they used to, well, they, you know, they bring in zips from the old world, okay. which you saw in the Sopranos, the guys they flew yep. in from Italy. Yep. You know, they still did that. They did it for years, and they still do it today if they have to. Hmm. Um, one of the cases prior to this case, I worked in organized crime. They flew guys in from Italy to meet us as well. So, you know, we, that still goes on. Well, Giovanni, on television, they'll have you believe all these shows and all the rest of it. 
that uh, ever since John Gotti, that the, the mafia is not really together anymore, that they broke it all up. and it, That's not true, is it? I mean, they, there's still a lot of organized crime out there. Yeah, it's a lot of, there's a ton of organized crime. Just as it was before, it's as strong as it ever was, and it infiltrates right. every branch of government or unions or jobs or whatever it did, bookmaking. Still, the scams are still there. The media might not cover it as much because there's no sexiness to it right now. But you'll see up and coming. The Colombo family is having some issues in the news. The Philly crime family is having some issues in the news. And it, they're always there. They'll always build back. Were you, were you surprised by any of the things you found out as far as how deep tentacles were into government or into other parts? Um, I was. And in my case, there was a law enforcement leak early on, and we didn't know where it was coming from. And that caused us a bit of heartache. Um, the worst thing is, is when you have one of your own turning on you. Sure. And then, you know, especially inside the Bureau, we didn't know where it was coming from. It turned out it wasn't coming from within the Bureau, but we didn't know where it was, so we had to even look at our own house. So that's hard, you know, when you think of the possibilities of somebody leaking information in your safety because it would cost me and my family our lives if it ever got out. Oh, yeah. Um, if these guys decided to strike out. So, yeah, there was a law enforcement leak, and it, you know, eventually came out, and, and it was through my captain's, uh, family member who was leaking the information back to the family. They knew oh, they were being looked at. Geez. Not by an undercover, just by that that the law enforcement is taking a shot at them at some level of government. Wow. God, how often do you wake up in the middle of the night and, and did you go, my God, what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. I, I give you a little yeah, few I nightmares. Did that, uh, off, I did it often because I realized, yeah. you know, I was missing time with my family. I was missing, you know, and God forbid I, I laid my life down and something went wrong at the end when I was supposed to whack this guy out for them um he got whispers of a little bit and you know was he going to strike at me to try to send a message to my captain there was a lot of that so yeah the night terrors were there you know even after the case i, I suffered a great deal of you know trauma and the night terrors would come and you know you just you just push through it well yeah because you have to be paranoid because you have to be right. paranoid mm-hmm. absolutely yeah well in that world it's good to be paranoid yeah so it's good to yeah. play it off if i asked a guy you know well, why hold on a minute you know what are you asking me to do here you know in one case my guys wanted me to hijack a load a truck and they wanted to pistol whip the guard and set it all up and you know and then i thank goodness they were reporting to me and they were pitching the kid the job to me so i was able to go back and so this is what you want to do you want to pistol whip this poor guard you want to leave him bleeding you know how, how good does this play out for us let's think about it you know for me, evidentiary purposes, it was great because I was able to regurgitate everything on tape. But, um, yeah, at times you can question guys. You know, that certain they all have a certain level of paranoia. They all mm. think they're being looked at. Yeah, that makes sense. Giovanni, by the way, your, the ratings on your book are huge, man. People love this book. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah thank you very much. Hold on. And I did notice, so. very, very smart on your part, there's no picture of you on the front of the book. <laughs> yeah, and I guess you're not going on book yeah. tours. <laughs> No right. book, no book signings well, at Barnes no, and Noble. No, no going to Barnes and Noble. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And when like you're being told you have to murder somebody or they want to pistol whip a guard, is there a, obviously there's a team of people working with you? Do you have to run that by people for approval, or is it like you just ask for forgiveness? Like, what's the process of what's the line I can cross while undercover? Well, we have what's called a certain level of criminal authority that's ju- that's given to us by the government. They allow us to don't do we certain all? things. But, okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Especially but of course, you don't have to. I'm, I'm not going to pistol whip somebody just to get bona fides for you so we could do a criminal case. They don't allow anything like that. But, yeah, when he told me I was going to do the, you know, he's going to propose me to do the hit, um, 
yeah, okay, sounds good. You know, right then and there, of course, I agreed to do it. You know, if I had sure. to pull out, mm-hmm. then we would end the case right away. But I had to go back and tell my supervisors, yeah, okay, uh, forget all the other things we're doing. We're now, we've bumped it up to murder. You know, now we're doing murder. So I had to mitigate the murder and stretch it out and get as much evidence as I could instead of just pulling a plug on a case right there. And then again, as an experienced undercover, you can do that. You know, um, I was very mature. Thank God I had 20 plus years doing undercover work because I was able to manage it by then. Wow. I don't well, know if a young guy would have the, the wherewithal to do that. And, you know, I was thinking wow. you should have you should have made an appearance in that new Sopranos movie that uh, that prequel, but because nobody would have known it was you anyway. It would have been perfect. They wouldn't have, right? Right. That you know, like Joe Stone, he was in Donnie Brasco. Right. Little, you know, right. little thing, and it was right. Yeah. I think it'd be one. No, nobody called me to do one, so unfortunately, it didn't happen. Well, that's because you don't. They don't know who you are. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they can't they find you. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Honest to God, I, I I cannot wait to read the book. I'm looking at the book right now. Giovanni's Ring, My Life Inside the Real Sopranos. Giovanni Rocco with Douglas Schofield. What a story, Giovanni. Can, once in a while, I would like to reach out to you and just kind of get an update on how things are going, how you're doing. <clears throat> I would love that. Absolutely, I love it. Yeah, I can ask you one. Can I ask you a smart ass question? Smart ass question. Sure, go ahead. Okay, you know, uh, DiGiorno pizza. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know that they're putting out a new macaroni and cheese pizza. What do you think of that, Giovanni? <laughs> I gotta get your take on that one. You you, you lost me at DiGiorno. <laughs> <laughs> That's the answer. That was the answer, Giovanni. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah, you could feel the disdain I mean, through yeah. the, through yeah, the, the second you, you, you just put me in. You just put me in a sweat. <laughs> Breaking out, sweat, getting clammy. Giovanni, who's going to come up with a macaroni and cheese pizza? I'm guessing kids would love that. That's, that's, not, a, that's not a new concept. No, that's, it's not. No, it's not. Toppers have yeah. macaroni yeah. and cheese pizza. They've had those oh, at restaurants. Yeah, very and they do. Yeah. 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 Is, is oh, he almost done? They have the They have the vodka penne vodka pizza. And a vodka. I'll take my vodka in a bottle, please. Yeah, there you go. Uh, a completely separate question, and I, I, I ask this. It's not. I'm not asking you politically. I'm just asking you from from perspective of what you did and what they're doing. You're hearing lots of different stories now about you know FBI infiltration and things that they've done and people getting upset because the FBI was involved in things. Do you look at that different than what you did? with the a crime family or does that is that the same type of stuff if you understand what i'm asking i, I think i understand what you're asking you're you're asking in a way of the schools and all that well the, you know you've got the, the the what happened in dc and people got upset with the fbi that were were infiltrating there i'm just wondering and again it's i'm not asking you politically i'm just asking you from right. the position of of what you've done and what you're seeing do you see infiltration different now or do you see it as the same type of tool? Um, it's it's the same type of tool, infiltration, but it's what you use it for. The, the the tool of undercover work and the undercover craft that we have, it's the last tool in our toolbox, and it should not just be used for any reason. It shouldn't just be thrown at something Thank because you. we want to try to get in here. It it really has to be the last thing we use. You know, it should be the last thing we we pull out of that toolbox. So. The FBI has enough things to worry about on its plate where we don't have to get involved in low-hanging fruit. There's plenty of great organizations in law enforcement that can handle that type of stuff. At the local, state, and other federal agencies, I don't think the FBI needs to get involved in that type of stuff. We have, en- we have enough problems around the world that they could look at in the country nationally and you know, internationally trying to come in. 
Amen. There's enough work to be had. And they don't need to be dipping their hand in everything. Did you feel supported by your by by the 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 police the whole time, as far as even at the end? Um, I was supported. I felt supported in a way of my safety and family. I think looking at it later on, they looked at the liability end of it. I think they realized there was a lot of liability on their plate that they needed to get off. So, um, and then after it was all said and done, and, and we got to where we were, kind of like the way I was shut off. You know, if you watch the end of Donnie Brasco, you give him a check. Right. You know, right. you give him a check for whatever, 250 bucks or whatever they gave him at that time. Um, that's the resounding. And I've reached out to guys that have done this type of work, and I thought it was something that I did. And, again, it caused a lot of grief with me. It caused mm-hmm. a lot of depression in me because I thought, you thought I was the cream of the crop. You know, you thought I was the best in the program, one of the best in this program that they had. And they would tell me that, and then all of a sudden I'm unplugged and I'm on a man on an island. So what did I do wrong? But it was my the guys that came before me that I reached out that did this, this level of work, and they were like, no, nah, don't worry about it. It happens to all of us. You know, we cause them too much grief, and they just they just want to get rid of you as soon as they can. So at least I knew I was, you know, it wasn't something I did. Well, could could anybody really be used again? I mean, once you've gone through it and once you've gone that deep, I mean, is there even a way to that could be done again? Yeah, I've done some big cases. This is, you know, this is a pretty big case. It's the most in-depth I've done that long-term, but I've done other long-term cases. You, um, I've infiltrated some, some heavy hitters. Mm-hmm. You know, this wasn't the, yeah, the, the organized crime, and the way I did this is the biggest long-term, but I've I've come out as other identities and other people. Yeah, no problem oh, at all. You, okay. can, you wow. can be recycled. Yvonne, okay. I want to reach out to you because I do a local morning show in town. I've been doing it for decades. I'd love to have you on that morning show as well. You would, our audience would love hearing hearing your story, no doubt about it. No. So I, I just, love the opportunity. I will reach out. To you. By the way, if you ever do another book, you got to do me a personal favor. You say this is for Tom. The name of the new book is "You Lost Me at DiGiorno." <laughs> <laughs> How about this? I'll send you a copy of the book, and I'll, I'll put a little thing in it. You lost me at DiGiorno. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, the, I already bought the book, but yeah, if you would send me another book, I, I would sure. love to get that. Man. So I have two copies <laughs> of your book now because I already have the other. Absolutely. One. <laughs> with a picture of me holding a box of DiGiorno. With <laughs> <laughs> that look on your face. I'm going to put it right up on a studio wall yeah. if you do that. I I guarantee you that. I'm going to put it right on the studio wall. Giovanni, I, hopefully we can talk again soon. This this has been a great conversation. Our audience loves this conversation. I appreciate your time today, sir. Great. I appreciate you all. Thank you so much for having me. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye. Thanks. Thank you. Right. Giovanni Bye-bye. Rocco, ladies and gentlemen. See, that's the kind of guest I oh, just yeah. I, just I can talk to him all day, yeah. all day long. I can't even imagine. I no. can't. I can't. Can't. It takes a certain type. Well, yeah. first of all, I yeah. can't keep track of lies. I'm like, I can't do it. Oh, God. <laughs> you would do what, what did I tell you the other day, sir? Yeah. 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 Well, you I was at the soccer t- mm-hmm. game yesterday with my kid. Wait a minute. I don't have right. any kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to ruin his book, but you wonder how many things he did. Oh, you know? I you can't know. even and imagine. Then, you know, when he said his wife was undercover, too. Yeah. yeah. A female undercover has got to be a different deal altogether. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know? No, you thank you. I mean, I know that I know it's something that needs to be done. <clears throat> oh yeah. But I yeah. the type of person I mean he didn't he obviously thought he was the type of person that could do it, but mm-hmm. he had yeah. a lot of repercussions mm-hmm. for doing it too. I just wonder what he meant uh, that he did other operations too. Well, I like, I'm he was under we don't want to get him shot, do we? Well, but, well, it's not but that. after we want to push the end. <laughs> after you testified after you testified 
It seems like you'd be done. You would think so. Yeah. Well, he was undercover for 26 years. I don't think the, I don't, yeah, I don't think really? the crime families were doing a lot of intermingling socially. No, but but at the same time, like you can't like sweep everybody up in the arrest. So it's like there's got to be somebody out there that there's yeah, a potential that you could be recognized. Yeah. But a Jersey guy's not going to suddenly show up in Rhode Island or Massachusetts or no, and, but, no, and move right. up. I mean, you well, can. they can. What, what did he call them? Zips. Yeah. Well, the Zips, Zips coming yeah. from Italy. Those yeah, are the guys I mean, you bring they, in. They bring to in kill new people. people so. Right, but they come in and kill somebody right, and leave. And that's leave. what a zip does. Oh, that's yeah. what a zip is. Yeah. I did Gotta not get your zip know. Straight. It's the guys that wear the all leather black jackets and come in with the gloves and yeah. boom. Yeah. And, and then, then they and they shot the wrong guy when they didn't shoot Phil Leotardo the way they're supposed to. They wrecked everything. Right. Oh, okay. you know when I said that to him about I grew up a nice Catholic boy myself. You guys always kind go oh whatever you have to remember that my neighborhood was not like where you grew up and but you probably michael was probably the same we only had the jewish mafia in <laughs> yeah, minnesota the, yeah, we didn't right. have the <laughs> italian some irish, mafia. did some irish Ma- mafia, mafia here too, mafia yeah. too yeah. Yeah. yeah but you have to remember michael forte and i went to school together at st joseph and his brother rocco became the fire chief in the minneapolis fire department right well because his name was rocco he had to be you, a fire yeah, so you, have to. <laughs> you have to understand no it's a true story their father was an organ grinder. Do you know what an organ like grinder is? Like a human is? organ? No, 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 no. The guys, <laughs> they would turn the crank on the little oh. music. With the monkey. With the monkey. Like a real or he had, old-fashioned. He had the bellboy cap on the monkey and the whole deal. You he know, if you'd wow. given me like three minutes, I could have given him a complete story. Yeah. <laughs> what he did, like, what he tried to, to grind a monkey in Okay, my, in my defense, my <laughs> mind was in like mafia mode. Yeah. Like, they, okay, yeah. we, we killed somebody, we gotta grind these organs, but he, hide bodies. he had the long curled mustache wow. and the whole deal. Oh. The organ grinder Mama deal. Mia, I can't believe it. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. On my own, you look horrible. In my own. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd also be curious, because when he's talking about like all the schemes they ran and stuff, like, when they built the American Dream Mall out in New Jersey, because at the time I was working at the House of Comedy, they were going to put a comedy club, right. oh, and the man, mall yeah. kept getting delayed because as they would like dig up the swamp to build the mall, they'd be like, "We found another dead body. Oh, <laughs> yeah. We got to investigate Jersey. this." Like, what do you expect? I'd be curious to see if he was uh, had any part in any of those. Did bodies. you watch Sopranos at all? Uh, no, I've honestly okay. never seen one episode. Well, now you're going to have to watch. They would get these like yeah. little scams. They had mm. all these little scams, and you'd work a scam, and then you'd pay your boss some percentage yeah. of what your scam was. So mm-hmm. when he's talking about <coughs> all those little things, those are all little deals that they yeah. got going on from, you know, beating up gardeners to, you right. know. Like stealing, like, whatever from construction sites. and mm-hmm. yeah. I'm going to tell you one thing as we go to break here. They were a lot older than me, so I can say this. But Michael and Rocco's sisters were really pretty. I will tell you that. But they were a lot older than me, so, you know, what are you going to do? Good to know. It was a nice family. Not a risk of full disclosure. It was a very nice family, that's all I'm saying. They were very, well, again, they became fire chief. That's pretty important. Imagine having the ability to see your wife with a whole bunch of Where little kids we? and having problems and going, yeah, I wish I could help. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Too bad for you. Too bad. If it wasn't for the mafia, I would be helping you. No, for any listeners wondering why Tom is sleeping on the couch today. No, I said they were way younger than me. I was a little boy. But I remember how They were younger young. than no, you older. and you were older. a little boy? No, I was a lot younger than they, no, I said. Okay. No, you did Just said no, they were a lot said younger you were than me. I think we should move on. Yeah, for the yeah. Next, I think we should. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay, coming up in the next <laughs> hour. Coming up in the next hour, we've got Kostaki dealing with the Greek mafia. So that'll be good.
We got it all covered today. Tommy, I never believed it until now, but apparently you're a pretty big deal. Well, was there ever a question in your mind? Well, you might say I was a doubting Thomas. See what I did there? Yes, how incredibly clever. Anyway, what's your point? Well, last month I was trying to find you a car to replace the Mafia Mobile and suggested leasing a Nissan Altima as it was impossible to find your first choice. I love that Altima, and I'm actually looking forward to checking out the all-wheel drive as soon as it's known. Well, apparently someone at Nissan was listening to us, and at this month, at Coon Rapids Nissan and Burnsville Nissan, we can offer short-term 18-month leases. That's actually pretty smart. By then, the chip shortage will be over, right? Man, I hope so. The only chip shortage I want to hear about is Bilski dumping one into the bunker. By the way, for the first time ever, Coon Rapids Nissan was number one in the state, and Burnsville was number two. Your Altima was actually one of the cars that put J-Lo on top. To learn more about short-term leasing, stop into Burnsville Nissan or Coon Rapids Nissan. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Uh, we're just trying to represent people who have been injured through no fault of their own. We're trying to talk to them before they talk to an adjuster or before they take a settlement that isn't something they should get based upon their injuries. How many people are out there, in different, not in the law business, that love to run around scaring people before you even get to them? Well, adjusters want to settle cases right. and they want to close files. So based upon that, they do what they have to. Um, I think there's a lot of circumstances where they probably act as attorneys where they're not attorneys and they try yeah. to explain people's rights or they give them a certain view that if they look at it. And what I always say is this, if the adjuster really truly thinks the offer they made makes sense, they'd have them come see us. You know? And that's exactly my question is you have to understand who has the best, your best interest in mind, correct? Well, you want to know what your rights are. You know, whether yep. or not you decide yep. you're going to hire us or not, that's a choice. It's a free consultation, and you want to understand what your, all your rights are and what coverages you have. And plus the fact, I hang out with you, so you got to be a good guy <laughs> if I'm hanging out with you. Uh, maybe. <laughs> uh, okay. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Hey folks, Brian Zepp here. Spring is gearing up, and if you're like me, you've already got the itch to hit the road. Make sure you and your motorcycle are ready with Dennis Kirk. Whatever you ride, Harley, Indian, metric cruiser, or sport bike, you'll find what you need at DennisKirk.com. They've got 160,000 parts and accessories in stock, clothing and helmets too. Order before 8 p.m. and they ship the same day. Plus, shipping is free for orders over 89 bucks. Get in gear and head to DennisKirk.com. Take it from Zap. They ship today. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Little news, little information. You know what I'm saying. I was just looking at the news. There's not a whole lot of news you want to report. Everybody is still in the. There's some actually. There's some positive things going on in the world for a change. I guess. That's what I understand, anyway. I have but, some good news. We have girlfriend on the phone. Oh, that's, that's about as good as news gets right there. And I've got great news. Uh-oh, what is it? Oh. Well, good news in my family, uh, because we're sort of affected by this, and that is that Robert Durst has finally been found guilty of murder. And what a, what a sentence. He'll be sentenced to uh, prison for the rest of his life. Of course, he's 78, unless he pulls a Sid Hartman. It's not going to be that many years. How about spending 22 years in prison of the years from 78 to 100? <laughs> yeah. That'd be yeah. a thrill. And the guy, and you know, of course, it's hard to say what sort of shape he's in, but naturally at the trial, he was in a wheelchair. I mean, that's a must, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, they're yeah, all absolutely. in wheelchairs. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and they're all going blind. 
Yeah, you know, they got true. the shawl over their lap. Most and, definitely. And you know, he's saying, he's saying, I, I, I didn't quite understand the question. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing, right? He understood. <laughs> he understood it just like the way he understood, you know, when he was chopping his wife into little pieces. Is that what he did? So, he chopped her up too. I didn't know he chopped her up. Well, one of his victims, he he chopped up and and then just you know put the pieces in garbage bags, and uh, they found the pieces, but he still was found uh, not guilty. So uh, this guy's had some. Let's just say he's had some juries that greatly respected him. Yes, the idea. Yes, I. Do you think there was any money involved in any of that? No, no, I, I can't imagine. No. So so now, of course, he's you know he's been. He's been convicted of killing uh, his wife, Susan Berman. Now, as, as you may recall, uh, Susan Berman was married to my third cousin, Mr. Margulies. That's right. That's right. Mr. Mister. Mr. Margulies. Mr. Margulies' dad, Jay, he was my, I guess you'd say, he was my third cousin once removed. Jay was, a, uh, was probably the top lieutenant of Davy Berman, who ran the Minneapolis Rackets for quite a while. And then and then Davey went out to Vegas, and, of course, uh, uh, my my cousin, uh, Jay Margulies, went with him. The family did. And the uh, family wasn't mixed up in this, just Jay. I want to say that. I want to make that clear. Sure, sure. Uh, because uh, because Mr. Mr. has been dead for a long time, but his sister... His sister uh, is is my age, and and we're good friends. So I do have a connection to the family, and I know she's been following this very carefully. But um, but Susie, Susie was married to Mister for I think maybe a couple years. Oh, okay. marriage didn't last long because uh, he was a heroin addict, and uh, in theory at least he died eventually of a not that not that far away from when they were married died of a supposedly an overdose of heroin, but. You know, I think you have to wonder uh, maybe if he had a little help with that overdose. You think? Just a possibility? I, well, when you just look at the, the people we're dealing with, I, I kind of think so. Now, now Jay, a uh, mister I didn't know very well, although I did spend quite a bit of time with mister. Uh, I was in Las Vegas when I was, oh uh, gosh, I must have been 21, and um I uh, so I went to visit uh, the family, and I when I say family, I, you know, you can take it either way. But um, but Jay, Jay, I had a long talk with Jay, and then Mister uh, Mister was he was a few years younger than me, not that much younger, but he was like sixteen at the time, and he gave me a tour of Las Vegas, including all the worst places you could find. So this kid knew too much too early. There was no no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, it's just not, not a great situation. And then, of course, Susan wrote a book. Actually, I have, I have the book right here next to me. It's called Easy Street. And it was basically sort of a, uh, you know, my father, the mobster story. Right, right. So um, a lot of stories I could tell about, about Jay and the family, but um, I had a very memorable conversation with Jay. I was 23 or 24 years old. And uh, I, w- I was working for the Minneapolis Tribune, and I'm, I'm working late. And uh, my assistant city editor, uh, Jimmy Parsons, good old boy from Tennessee, comes up to me and he says, uh, Boy, I, I got a little uh, obit for you to write, and I don't think it's going to be easy. And I said, Why? He said, Well, this guy just died, and uh, his, his name was Jack Apple. 
And, Jack uh, Apple, okay. Yeah, and apparently he was a mobster. I said, yeah, mm, yeah, he was, yeah. I knew about Jack Apple. Jack Apple was uh, was a hitman for the mob. And uh, I kind of suspected that uh, since he was based here and eventually went to Vegas, he probably probably knew Jay. So I called Jay up in, in Las Vegas. Jay, uh, Jay had fairly recently been firebombed by the mafia. So Jay wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't, uh, let's, let's just say that uh, his mind wandered a little bit, because that's a, kind of a life-changing event when you're firebombed by the mafia. Yeah, I could see that, yep. Yeah. Jay thought one day he had the idea, he was running a gift shop, you know, they had set him up with this gift shop in, in a casino, and, and Jay had the idea one day that, you know, he could probably provide for his family a little better. If uh, if mafioso guys weren't coming in every ten minutes and taking money out of the till, so Jay decided to open up a second gift shop downtown, and uh, the firebomb was the response to that. So anyway, I called up Jay. A lot of digressions in this story because there's so many tributaries. It's like a you know sure. a huge river. Sure. You keep you keep running into these tributaries, and you have to respect them, but. So I called up. I called up Jay and I said, "Jay, uh, it's Mike. You know, Mike Gelfan. How you doing?" And we kind of, you know, reminisced about old times. And I said, "Well, I'm writing a story, uh, trying to put together a little obit on, uh, on Jack Apple. Uh, did you Did you know Jack?" He said, "Well, did I know him? He's one of my closest friends. Of course, I knew him." So he gave me a little information, and uh, apparently, I may have been too conversational because it seemed like he kind of forgot that I was writing a story. At least in retrospect. At any rate, so I said, well, you know, what, what was your impression of him? And he said, listen, i got to tell you something. Jack Apple was, was a great guy. He was a, if, if, if you were a friend of Jack Apple, he gave you the shirt off his back. And I said, oh, okay. So what if you were his enemy? And he paused briefly and he said, he'd kill you. <laughs> well, shirt off your back, kill you. So, yeah. you know, naturally I went with that, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, and, uh, oh, that's a mistake. Yeah, and Jay was not happy about that. No, Again, he, no. Yeah, he just didn't realize that I was calling as a journalist, not so much as a cousin who hadn't talked to him in 15 years. God, what a story that is. That's a great story, <laughs> Mike. Yeah, it's uh, quite a family. We just had a guy on, uh, Giovanni uh, Rocco is his name. He, he did undercover uh, the Cavalcante family, the most... The notorious, uh, they were basically the the real Sopranos. That's the name of his book is The Real Sopranos. The mm-hmm. Cavalcante family. He went undercover for years and years. And he was a nice, nice Italian boy from Bayonne, New Jersey. And I asked him a question at the very end of the interview. Did a great interview. It was a really good interview. <clears throat> he doesn't give his real name, obviously. His real name is not Giovanni Rocco, but... I asked him a question. I said, I, as a nice Italian boy, I'd like, I'd like to know something, because I just heard this this morning, which was reported in the news, that, um, that DiGiorno was putting out a macaroni and cheese pizza, which is true, by the way. They are now, yeah. now going to put out a macaroni and cheese pizza, okay? So, uh, so Giovanni, uh, what do you think? Would you, uh, would you like a macaroni and cheese pizza? And he paused and said, you lost me at DiGiorno. <laughs> which I thought was wonderful. I thought that was just correct. You know, 
I have so Mike, is it because and people I don't think know this anymore and they certain don't certainly don't ever talk about it, I know and you know because of our our early childhoods, that even though Minneapolis was the most anti Semitic city in America, is is it because of that that organized crime in Minnesota was run by Jews because they had no other way to make a living? Oh, absolutely. Just yeah. just like <clears throat> just like the Italians, uh, before the Jews and you know, the Irish, it's, uh, yeah, that's uh, discrimination and hatred obviously force people into professions that may not have been their first choice, but you, you got to make a living. My, my, a lot of my cousins, well, I shouldn't say a lot, but, it, but more than one, were bookmakers. And, you know, because that was one of right. the things that they, they could do. I, I remember visiting another cousin. This wasn't Jay, but I remember visiting another cousin. Um, and it was kind of a rare thing because we didn't really have much contact with our cousins. My dad was an only child, and uh, my mom had a few cousins, but not that many. And um, and so you know, but but this on on some occasions we'd do this. Uh, I had one uncle, but I didn't know him that well. So we went over to one of our cousins' house. I have no idea why, but we were over there and. Um, I went down to the basement with uh, with my my cousin who was he must have been he must have been about my age uh, he was probably like my fifth cousin or something I didn't know him very well and uh, I kind of lit up because when we got down to the basement there was a I saw a big uh, ping pong table and you know living in Cretan on Cretan Avenue we really didn't have room for a ping pong table right yeah, we didn't have like a recreation room you know what. No, no I know it. Oh, it's terrible. But you know what? We had something more important. We had neuroses. Well, you did. Yes, that's true. I know that. So I, I, I said, uh, I said, hey, why don't we take, uh, why don't we take all that, you know, those little slips of paper off there, and play ping pong? And he said, uh, my dad will kill us if we do that. So the little pieces of paper, and I'm talking about, you know, about about maybe a quarter of the size of the of the standard post-it note you see today. Right. Had numbers written on them, and it would be like, you know, one o four six five, and then it would say, it would say something like, you know, UNLV minus two, you know, <laughs> UM plus three, that kind of thing. Sure. And and uh, next next to that. Under the under the ping pong table, there was a big bucket of water. So, in other words, the, these were uh, this, this was flash paper. You know what flash right, paper? Right. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. That makes sense. Flash paper. You, you just so if the if the cops knock on the door, you take the flash paper, you throw it in the bucket of water, and everything just disappears. God. <laughs> what a world! What a world! Yeah, and you can imagine you can imagine Mister and and his sister, Mister Sister, was my friend. Would it be Sister Mister or Mister Sister? Yeah, depending on whatever is convenient. That's true. Okay. And and uh, and but you can just imagine growing up and Susie Berman, of course, whose dad was Davy, the mobster, the lead mobster. You can imagine how their lives were a little different. You, you know that that growing up in that environment. Um, just not it's just not the same and you're always going to feel ostracized and you know and then you then of course you know you've got you've got the jewish mobsters and they're moving out to las vegas in the 50s and remember now las vegas was not controlled by the mob las vegas was controlled by the mormon banks 
Right. That's exactly right. They supplied the money. So as you can imagine, you, the, the, these poor Jewish kids of mobsters went to school, and they, you know, they were they were in a sizable minority. Uh, most of the most of their their friends, their schoolmates, were, were far more likely to to be Mormons. Who you, you may recall, the Mormons never did really have a high regard of the Jews, and I'm sure it was vice yes. versa. Yeah, because yeah. one of the things the Mormons have have done for many years, I I don't think I don't I think they still do it. In some places, even though um, the Jewish Anti-Defamation League and others have expressed their contempt for this, you know, they like to uh, retroactively um, uh, um, baptize Jews. In other words, they, they have ceremonies where they baptize dead Jews and turn them into Mormons. What? De- yeah. Dead Jews? Dead Jews, yeah. Right. Well, why, why did they have to be dead? Because the Jews wouldn't well, guess, do it if they were alive. Well, they don't alive. have to be dead, but if they were alive, they would never allow it. Yeah, that's true. So they, they do this do ceremony while they're dead, and then that way they their spirit will go to heaven. Oh, well, see, there you go. I like, why, now, Mike, obviously, you know, Minnesota has a big Scandinavian population, had a big uh, German population. What did the, the hatred of the Jews was? Was it both groups? Was it the Scandinavians and the Germans? Or what, what was the problem here? Well, all of the all of the hatred of Jews it was it was bad from the start. You know, the Jews came over here in, in not so much in Minnesota, mostly in New York, but they came over to the country, as you know, and by the millions at the turn of the century. Right. They were fleeing. If they weren't fleeing, you know, the the Germans, they were fleeing Stalin, but mostly mostly the the, the czars at that time. Yeah, yeah. You know, Russia was not a great place to be for for Jews, and. Uh, if you, uh, if you, uh, let's say you were the the big brother, you had three brothers. You were the big brother, and you were able to escape and and get to the United States. Well, then what would happen is the next in line, the brother in line, would have to serve your term in the army and his. So basically, oh. then you'd have to do twelve years in the army. Oh God! Not exactly fighting for a cause you believed in. Right. But. Um, also, also of course, you know now you get you get into the twenties and the thirties, and and now Hitler's uh, making some moves, and now you have what people like uh, Henry Ford and Charles Lindbergh would call the Jew problem. It wasn't the Hitler problem; it was the Jew problem. <laughs> yeah, Lindbergh was not exactly a, a favorite of uh, of the Jews. There's no question. Well, he was a Nazi sympathizer. Was he literally and, a Nazi? But, but so. Who else? Wouldn't Joe Kennedy side shoulder to shoulder with him? Well, if there was enough money, yeah. There's <laughs> enough money to be well. That's exactly right, isn't it? And and so the the uh, you know so so and then you had Henry Ford, who of course uh, bought the Dearborn newspaper so that he could solely for the purpose of publishing the uh, you know the the. The lying conspiracy theory, the you know the the story of the the elders, and it was just all it was all kind of like the conspiracy theories we're hearing today about the government implanting chips in people, you know, when they're getting right. the vaccine. Right. It was the right. same kind of thing. It was just wild conspiracy theories, that, and everything was the fault of the Jews, and that kind of thing sort of captured the feeling of a lot of people, which was that not that not that Hitler was a threat to democracy and would eventually would would want to, you know, enslave us as right, well as everybody right. in Europe. It was that 
that if they could just get rid of the Jews or just let the Jews go, let them be exterminated, then, you know, Hitler would, would take a pass on us. So is this all about Cack and Jesus? Is that, was that the whole problem, is that the Jews killed Jesus and that's what they were so pissed <laughs> off about? You know, I have a feeling that, just, just from the reading I've done and things my parents had told me, that it was, it was really less about religion, more about culture. What was the problem with culture, though? That that, that this part I don't understand. Well, remember the remember the Nazis uh, marching down the streets in Virginia, you know, and uh, you know these were the the very good people, of course, um, and 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 chanting "Jews will not replace us," which was one of Hitler's slogans, because you know he wanted to make people afraid. That right. because the Jews were industrious, they were even worse. They were known as being smart, and I can tell you personally, some are and some aren't. But, well, yeah, um, I mean that's from my experience, you know. <laughs> yeah. So and and after all, you know, we've assimilated now, so that we have almost as many stupid people as smart. Yeah, it's what happens. Yeah, it does. You're absolutely right. There's no it's question. Part of the that. melting pot, you know. One of the things that melts is your intellect. Well, look so, what's going on right now. The United States is now in 24th place in reading and math. Did you know that? 24th well, yeah, place in the world. It's, it's, been, it's been, and of course, you know, we don't really know how bad it could be because these are pre-pandemic figures. That's true. Yeah, that's very true. So I, it's safe to say it that I think that it's probably gotten worse. God, can you even believe that? Why did we give up on educating, actually educating and, and, and being learned at two... See, being educated and being smart are two different things, and people don't realize. They think that if you're smart, you're educated. Well, that's not necessarily true. And if no. you're educated, it also doesn't mean that you're smart. But people think that's the same thing, that education and intelligence is the same thing, and it's flat out not even close. Well, let's face it, you and I are uh, poster boys for that. Mm, that's true. <laughs> I suppose, well, at least yes, we're we not are. educated. Well, not educated, that is true. Well, no, you're right about that. That's very, very, there's not a lot of education there, and we seem to have gotten by somehow, which is kind of nice. I just, uh, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, uh, there was a there was a uh, thing last, uh, that appeared this morning in the Star Tribune, getting back to the old neighborhood, because <clears throat> where I grew up, and again, I talk about this one, once in a while, the Catholics, Jews, and, uh, and uh, black people. That's who lived in North Minneapolis. Right. Now, of course, they show a, a scene this morning, the corner of Broadway and Lindale, excuse me, yeah, Broadway and Lindale, the mm-hmm. Merwin Liquor Store, and then, of course, there's a, a winter gas right across the street. There was a, right. a guy at open fire with an automatic weapon, a machine gun, just driving by in an SUV, open fire with a machine gun on just yeah. willy-nilly people out there, right? Yeah. And it just struck yeah. home because I spent so much time in that corner because when it was Merwin Drug, my mother was a waitress there at the fountain. And I spent, I cannot tell you how much time I spent on that street corner. And now it's a scene of one of the most uh, hideous murders of all time. Yeah. I, I just, I hate looking back at it that way, Mike. I do. I hate it. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's scary. Uh, just, you, you just kind of cringe before you go online and see what happened overnight while you were trying, trying yeah, desperately yeah. to sleep and probably failing. No, that's yeah. exactly it. That's exactly right. I, I just, you know, I, I have those wonderful memories. And it, basically it was from Lindale to uh, 
excuse me, from the river to Lindale was pretty much your Catholic neighborhood, and then Lindale mm-hmm. over to Penn was a black neighborhood, and then Penn west of there was a Jewish neighborhood. And everybody yeah, my, came my, and went. Uh, it was wonderful. My, my grandmother and, of course, my mother lived on uh, 8th and Newton. Yeah, there you go. There, there you go. Just oh, she, she was on the wrong side of Penn Avenue by about like uh, two blocks. What the hell, man? You can't have oh, that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, even you know, as a little kid, before before they fled from the from the area, I mean, I saw you know I saw police chases and, and you know people shooting, cops shooting shooting at 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 suspects you know while they were speeding down Newton right. Avenue. Right. It was like the Wild West. It was back in the old days. we got to take a break here for a quick second, then we'll be right back. Mike Gelfand is with us. And back in seconds, as I said. Tom here for Shift Real Estate. Last year, about this time, when we were making plans for Key West, I met the folks from Shift Real Estate. And when I heard the Shift story, it made sense to me. It made sense to my kids, and it makes sense to pretty much everybody that's heard about them. Shift Real Estate saves home sellers thousands of dollars on real estate fees. How do they do it? Shift lists for a flat fee of $5,000. You work with a full-time salaried agent. They take professional photos and videos of your home, list it on the MLS, and market your home online, all for a $5,000 flat fee. Call Shift Real Estate and tell them about your home. Tell them that you heard me talking about it, and they will tell you how you can save $10,000 or more when you list with Shift. It's the common sense way to sell your home. Visit shift2sell.com. That's shift, the number two, sell.com. Because life is expensive enough. And we are back with Stretch's picks. You know, Tom, uh, there's a lot of analysis that goes into these picks. Yeah. And uh, I highly recommend betting, of course. I always recommend betting. Yeah, absolutely. So who's winning this thing? The kitties, the pack, the bears, or the purple? None of the above. Those are all the teams in the division. I know that. Well, who's your pick? I'm going with Sabre Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. What? It's not a football team. I know, but it's a hell of an HVAC company. They do the most thorough system tune-up in the industry. Sabre is one of the largest Bryant dealers in the state, which means you save. Yep, I'm going with Sabre, Sabre and Bryant, doing whatever it takes to keep you comfortable. It's also the smartest time to call and schedule your furnace tune-up with Sabre. Get the most thorough tune-up in the industry from the people who keep my home comfortable. Oh, uh, one more thing, Tom. What's that? Visit SabreHeating.com. Tom here for Continuum Weight and Well-Being. Continuum is here, it's new, and they're doing it differently. There are no meal replacements or foods you're required to purchase. There are no pills or surgeries. They specialize in customizing meal plans for you using all whole, nutritious foods. They don't just focus on weight loss. They are upfront with their pricing. And most importantly, Continuum is designed for long-term success. Schedule a free consultation and find out more today. Go to their website, ContinuumWeightWellbeing.com, or call or text them at 952 952- 491-6527. That's Continuum, C-O-N-T-I-N-U-U-M, ContinuumWeightWellbeing.com. I've learned so much from them, and I know you will too. Continuum Weight and Wellbeing, life beyond weight loss mode. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Gelfand oh, with us. He just dropped off. He just dropped off. Uh, Why are we having such a problem with Jeff? I don't Jeff Foxworthy calls in, then he drops off. Oh, he's he back. Oh, see, look oh, at Okay, that. he's back for real this time. 
Mr. Foxworthy, how are you? <laughs> I'm an idiot. No, I you're bet, I went. <laughs> I, I went from not, busiest thing I had to do all day was to maybe buy dog food. So I've been in 13 cities in 16 days, and uh, I ju- I have no excuse. It just. I got the time wrong, and I'm an idiot. No, that's good. How, how long do you have? Because I don't want to hold you longer than time, the time. Did you have 15, 20 minutes, or what? What kind? What's your time frame? I, I got whatever you need. Yeah. I'm okay, good. so we'll be on till like good. four or five o'clock this afternoon. That'll be good. <laughs> <laughs> now, Jeff, it's great to have you with us. Uh, Jeff Foxworthy, our special guest, uh, his comedy show at the Pantages Theater, October 30th. It's a Saturday. Two shows: one at 5 p.m., one at 7:30. And I would tell you uh, this morning in the Star Tribune, the local newspaper here in Minneapolis, there's a big article about how you're uh, going to shoot a Netflix special uh, while you're while you're and, and, and apparently Jim Gaffigan is, is following your lead because he's in town tonight, tomorrow night, and the next night, uh, Saturday night as well, and he's shooting a Netflix uh, series. So apparently, Hennepin Avenue in Minneapolis is a hot spot for great comedy. So that's good. It, it, Minneapolis has always been a great spot. Yep. comedy. The last, the last thing I did for Netflix, I did Larry the Cable Guy there. And oh, right, yeah. I don't know. I've just, I, yeah, I've always just loved doing shows there. And this this thing that I've been playing with this time around is called The Good Old Days because my in-laws, what, they're like, they take great pride in telling you how tough they had it growing up, you know, <laughs> like, you know, yes. no electricity and we only had dirt to eat and and th- but then they finish it off by calling it those were the good old days and and so dur- during covid i just thought all right i'm going to do a deep dive on this and and just look at were things better then or better now you know and and so it's kind of been kind of fun cuz it's multi-generational you know the way we did things like right. remember when you were a ki- kid and if you went to, when you went to the doctor's office if you behaved you always got to stop by the treasure chest on the way out. The little, sure. the little cardboard box full of the cheap toys. Remember that? Yes, sir. I mean, and I'm thinking, why did that have to stop? I, I wouldn't mind going to the doctor and him putting on the rubber glove to check my prostate if I knew that on the way out I was going to get to swing by and grab a new spider ring. You know, <laughs> I mean. I agree. You should have never stopped. Yet. Now, one thing I do have no. to tell you about the appearance today is there's a guy that's usually on the show named uh, Doug Sprinthal. He does a, the second hour of the show. He does car selling secrets. Uh, he's really good about it. And a lot of people call in about, you know, muscle cars or race cars or their family car, all kinds of great stuff. Right. Um, so I told him because he's out of town, he's in Vegas at a convention. I said, um, we, we had a really hard time replacing you on the show, Doug. I don't know what we're going to do. We could only get Jeff Foxworthy. <laughs> he said, what? And I said, Jeff Foxworthy is going to take your spot on Thursday. He goes, would you do me a favor and ask him? Because he's just wild about this. He does this He's the, does this thing on Car Selling Secrets called Your Very First Car. So if you don't mind, Jeff, he wants me to ask you what your very first car was in your life. Well, beggars can't be choosers, first no. of all. So <laughs> yeah, there I, you go. I, I inherited my uncle's used green Pinto 
where the back left quarter panel was actually white. Uh, and it was kind of like a Fred Flintstone car in that if you were going uphill, you had to open the door and stick your leg out and kind of help it. It was like a scooter, you know. Uh, yeah, that was that was my first ride. So what, what... Uh, And boy, don't you know, the chicks were lining up to cruise around in that thing. The green pit. What year was the Pinto? <laughs> oh, I'm thinking it was probably like a 71. Yeah, seventy-one, 71 green 71. pinto with a with a white quarter panel. Now we're talking. Well, <clears throat> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now the the first car I ever bought. Now this is this is the redneck in me. The first car that I ever bought for myself, I bought a rally sport Camaro. Because you're not really a redneck until you've totaled at least one Camaro. Well, that's true. Um, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So. There's no doubt about that. I, I just I love the fact that when people talk about their cars, this, that, and yeah. Cars are very, very important to people, women and men, all the rest of it. But this one wonderful thing, and it's been pointed out by every person who's ever listened to this show, so I think we're about two, three million people in now. My daughter was in one uh, one day with, uh, with Doug, and Doug said, Alex, now what was your first car? And she kind of looked up at the ceiling, was thinking about it. And this is a true story. And you know this, Mr. Foxworthy, because you've done rather well in your career. So you understand your children had a different life than you did. And uh, our daughter's the same way because uh, we asked her, he asked her what her first car was. And she said, you know, I don't really remember. It was either the Audi or the Jaguar. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's exactly right. You're going to have a hell of a time telling stories about that. No question about it. God, I, it's so, you know, Jeff, we're, you were just on the, the KQ Morning Show. I've been doing a KQ Morning Show for 37 years now here in Minneapolis, and you were just on last week. And wow. it was so nice of you to step up and be on this show as well. Because every time you call in, whether it's the morning show or the afternoon show here, I just, man, I get great la- you, Your take on life. Uh, you know, it's not that it's not that situation. But well, you know, he's very clean, and he all that. That part, yeah, that's true. But that's not why you're so funny. I mean, you 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 feel every story you tell, don't you? I do. You know, yep. and I and I just I talk about my life. You know, people were like, "How do you come up with that?" And I just and maybe we talk about this, but you know, I just assume if. If I think something or my wife says it or my family does it, I just think other people are thinking and saying and doing the same thing. And, and you know, to be able to laugh at ourselves, because we've kind of lost that in this country. We, yes. We've lost the ability to laugh at ourselves and because I, we're all idiots. Well, none of us have got this figured out, you know, and so... I just admit it. I'm like, hey, I'm an idiot. I don't know, but but it sure does make life easier. And you just learn to, to, to laugh at things. And I think as human beings, we need it. You know, that's one thing during this pandemic. We haven't had live comedy. And all the comedians I talk to, they, they tell me people are coming up to them and going, oh, my God, I can't remember the last time I laughed like that yeah oh, and i yeah. think it's good for our health 
you know, we need to. You know, one of the great moments last week when you were on the KQ Morning Show here in Minneapolis was uh, when I when I mentioned, and I'll mention it again, and, and then I'll just be quiet because you you did you killed it. It was just wonderful. I asked you your feelings on on cancel culture, and I believe that was before they went after Dave Chappelle. I think it was just I, either it was that day or the day before. And your take on the cancel culture and the fact that you cannot be funny anymore for some people, I love the way you went after that subject. Well, you know, and I think what we've lost in all this is is intent. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And it's like, like, like 30 years ago when I was writing stuff, I would say, why do men do this and women do this? Or why do women do this and men do that? And then, you know, then I had people going, well, I'm a woman. I don't do that. Or, mm-hmm. And I'm like, all right, I'll say, why do I do this? But my wife does that. I'll make it, you know, more personal. But but, but the intent, it, at least for me, I'm just not mean-spirited. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's right. feelings. I'm not trying to exclude anybody. I'm just trying to make you laugh. And and if that doesn't work for you, then I'm sorry and don't watch me, <laughs> you know. But it, it we've lost. What is the intent of all of this? And the intent of it is to point out that none of us have us figured out. Every day we're coming to a hundred forks in the road and we're guessing left and right. And you know sometimes we're correct and sometimes we're not. But we, you know when we live in a society now where everybody has to be right. That means somebody else has to be wrong, and people don't like being wrong. They just walk away from, from you. And so what we lose is conversation. Um, I, I, somebody that, the other day, I, I was doing my podcast, and they said something that was counter kind of what I had always thought, but as they explained themselves, I, I was thinking, you know what, that, that is a valid point. That is a valid point, and I had never thought about it that way. And we pers- and and he, over the course of this, changed my mind about something. Oh, but that can only happen when we have conversation. And people don't want to do that right now. I, I you know, it came up on the morning show this morning the fact that I don't know why it is we can't get away from singling out one group of people based on skin color, whether it be black or brown or white or whatever. We always have to have one group of people, oh, my God, you're bad people. Why do we have to blame our problems on one particular group of people? I don't get it. Well, I don't either, and and I don't think that's, you know, (laughs) unique to now. I think it's probably always been that way. But if you think about it, none of us. Not you, not me, not our children had any say-so in what country we were going to be born into, yep. what parents we were going to be born to, and what color our skin was going to be. So, to me, if you had no control of and no say-so about it, how can you take pride in that, or how can you be ashamed of that? You know, you had no control over either. It, it would be like asking somebody that was born without an arm to be ashamed of that. And they were like, right. oh, I had no control. That's the way I was born. And so it's, it's ridiculous. And, you know, we, we, God, it's our egos that always get in the way, that we feel like we've got to be 
superior to somebody else, and that's the way we elevate ourselves. And I just have never looked at people that way. I just, I just don't. And, you know, in my mind, if you are kind and, and if you are making an effort, I don't care what you look like. I'm going to be kind to you. Right. I, 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 it does not matter. So, you, you know, and if you're not kind or if you're trying to take advantage of somebody else, then I'm going to have a problem with you. And, again, it doesn't matter what you look like or where you're from. It just amazes me, too, Jeff, the fact that the people are, are, who are the most distant from what they perceive as the problem, in other words, they don't live in those neighborhoods, they don't deal with those people, uh, they're always experts at what those people are really all about. I've never understood how you can be an expert on somebody you, you've never even met or don't even know. That's the part I don't get. I'll tell you a great story, because, like, my whole life, my, my aunt was, was in, um, worked with child, childhood uh, cancer. And so when I started being a comedian, I would do all these things for whether St. Jude's or the Duke Children's Hospital or Make-A-Wish. I, I was doing all these things with childhood cancer. And I never had any heart pull towards homelessness. And I met a guy one day about 13 years ago, and he worked in the biggest homeless shelter in Atlanta and he invited me to come down for lunch and I liked the guy and, and I'm like, yeah, I'll come down for lunch. Now I was one of those people with homeless people. The way I interacted with them was at the stoplight. Here's five bucks. Please go away. That's the way right. I interacted with. Right. Them. So I go down there to have lunch and this guy sits down. He's like 21 years old white kid in the middle of the urban city sits down with us and he's living in this homeless shelter now my first thought was dude you're 21 years old you're healthy get a job what what the heck are you doing living on the street mm -hmm. his name was jason his name was jason and so i always want to know people's stories so i said jason what's your story he said well he said it was me my brother my mom and dad and then when i was 11 my mom killed herself oh and god Two, year, two years later, my brother killed himself. And then it was just me and my dad, and my second year of college, my dad killed himself. And he said, I just got to the point where I couldn't hurt anymore, so I started getting high. God. Well, when you get high, you can't go to school, and you can't hold a job. And that's how he ended up on the street. And, and as I'm sitting there listening to him, I'm thinking... Holy cow, did I get high, too. I'd get high every day. Yeah. That was my life. No, you're right. You're absolutely and, right. And then, so all of a sudden, this wasn't a guy standing at the corner. This was this was a fellow human being that had had some of the most tragic stuff I've ever heard of happen to him. And you know what? He, he, he needed somebody to love on him. He needed somebody to walk beside him through this stuff. And I am happy to say, 13 years later, Jason graduated college, Ooh. and he is a nurse and got his own place, and he's doing okay. But so until you know somebody's story, until you know what they're holding, it, it's really crappy to even judge anybody. No, there's no, and, and, and that's a very, very good point. You need to get to know somebody before you judge them and to make these sweeping that, that all black people are bad, all white people are bad, all you don't know them. You, you can't say that. They had, well, as you said, if you're born without an arm, it's really not your fault you only have one arm, you know? 
Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, my my default is I I try to be kind to people and have grace with people because I don't know their story. Mm-hmm. And then as you get to know them, you know, then you adjust. But yeah, I and and I don't know what's so hard about that. And and, and, and and from sitting there having lunch with that guy, I ended up working, well, COVID, we had to stop. But for 12 years in a row, we'd get up at 5 o'clock on Tuesday mornings and go down there and lead a men's group mm. in this homeless shelter. So, so for thousands of mornings, I've been down there because I went, crap, there's some guys up there that just got kicked in the gut. That, that needs somebody that, you know, kind of walk them through this stuff. And, you know, I don't, people don't know that about me. I don't do it so people will applaud me. There was just, that was a place I could step in. And, you know, if we would all just do that to each other, you don't have to change the world. Just, just make your little corner of it a little better. That's all you got to do. And if everybody made their corner better, the world would be a better place. That's true. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. There's no Jeff, why do you think it is, um, <clears throat> you know, in, in my situation, people go, why, why, how did you ever get into business? Why did you do this? Why did you do that? How did you end up being such a great storyteller? I mean, you are a terrific storyteller. Was it in your family? Is it something, I tell you, the reason that I got into telling jokes and doing all that stuff my father and I never got along, and the only time he was ever happy with me was when I was making him laugh, and that's a fact. It, was there something like that in your life as well? I, now, you have to repeat the, the first part of the question only because my wife had called me, uh, and I lost you for just a second. Well, say hello if you would, please. I would appreciate that. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I declined, Hunter. I'm sticking with you, buddy. <laughs> Oh, the, I'm going to be popular now, there's no doubt. No, I was just talking about, you're a great storyteller. You, you're very, very good at telling stories. You're a very funny guy. But the story, the storytelling part of the reason you are so funny, where did that come from, do you think? I, you know, I don't, I'm not sure where it, where it came from. You know, it was... Uh, it was funny, like, early in my career, I kind of found my audience with with country music fans. And, right, yeah. And country, country music is the only form of music that's had comedians associated with it. Like, you don't have rock and roll comics. You don't have... No, that's true. Jazz comics. But, and, and I think the reason that is is because if you think of every country song is a story. It's... You know, like, yep. I love rock and roll. I love the song Layla. I have no idea what it's about. I can sing every <laughs> word of it. I have no idea what it's about. But, it, you know, I was, I, I had a lot of, ner- I had nature in that I think I was probably born funny. But both sides of my family, they would sit around and tell stories. And they were, there were a lot of people on both sides that were funny. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the way they would pass the evening is sitting there talking and, you know, telling these funny stories. So I'm sure I. Oh, we lose him. Oh, well, he's still on, but looks like the connection might be uh, not so great. Oh, that's too bad. 
Well, we can certainly take him. Hey, Mike, by the way, you're more than welcome to ask a question. I, I'm not trying to bury you in the... in the. Oh, no, you guys have a, have a good grab going on. And I, I'm just really thinking about, you know, <laughs> how different his South was from the South my father experienced. Oh, I'm sure. Well, that's ex- that's exactly the point, Mike. I think it's true. Now, where did, where did your father grow up? Tulsa, Oklahoma. That's right, Tulsa. That's where you go. But you know, I mean, he didn't grow up with around people who were telling full stories every day. He grew up around people who were trying to survive the, the bigotry and hatred that surrounded them every day. Yeah, yeah. No, it's absolutely it's a little different. And of course, my father, you know, he he was he was uh, older than Jeff's father, and my father grew up during two things that kind of changed history and, and the people who lived in the air, and that was the Dust Bowl and the Depression. Right. <clears throat> no, absolutely. So, and of course, you know, getting beat up every day by the sons of Nazis didn't, didn't really make him any more uh, amenable to uh, humorous jokes. Uh, it, so it's just, you know, everybody has a different perspective. His was not, and, and also I should point out, my dad was not a funny man. Oh, wasn't you know, he really? My dad, he had no sense of humor. Oh, well. <laughs> Well. I, that's why I've always said that that you know that sense of humor uh, and and a full head of hair skip generations. <laughs> oh God, is Jeff back? <laughs> yep, Jeff is back. My dad Jeff had a full Fox head went... of hair and, and no sense of humor. You know, and I and I think I would probably trade the the uh, I'd probably trade for that. I'd say, okay, you can have my sense of humor now. Give me a full head of hair. Give me the full head, Jeff Foxworth. This is Mike Gelfand. Mike and I have been working together for thirty five years, off and on. Known him forever, brilliant writer, very, very funny man. Mike Jeff, Jeff Mike. I, I, we only got a couple minutes left here because I don't want to hold Mr. Foxworthy all day. And so nice of you to call in the first place. But I, I just want to hear a little exchange between the two of you because that's got to be brilliant. Cross culture. No pressure. And Mike, and Mike you, have, you have no control over whether you were born, you know, with the genes to have a head of hair or not. And I'm really <laughs> trying to not. Because I don't either, but I'm, I am glad I still have hair. It's turning gray, but I am glad I still have it. Well, my grandpa and my dad both have hair. I do not. So That's true. You never know how it's going to turn out. It's just a random injustice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just the universe mocking us is all it is. There's no vaccine you can take. No. no. And believe me, I tried. No. God. This is random injustice. We'll put it up to that. You, you know, when I found out I was balding was when I started covering uh, a, a professional basketball team. Oh, they looked down on you, yes. Yeah. Oh, exactly. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that makes total sense. They would notice the bald spot before anybody else did. Huh. Yeah, I, I had no idea, but they were, of course, <laughs> given, given the fact that my writing offended them, they were very quick to point that out. <laughs> <laughs> Now you got to tell Mr. Foxworthy, my, I, I, you just told it last week, Mike, but I got to, I got to push you on it again. Mr. Gelfand, one of the first times we ever appeared on the air together, Jeff, uh, came up. He, he kind of, I looked in Studio B, Jeff, and there was Mike, and he had his face in his hands, you know, his head's down, his face is in his hands, and he's kind of breathing heavy. And I thought, man, what's, it's some kind of depression. What's going on in there? So on the air, I said, well. Is Jeff still with us? Yep. Oh, I heard that little blip. Although, um, are you there, Jeff? I think he might have dropped out again. I think the signal of where he is, he's in his car right now, it uh-oh. looks like. Ah, uh-huh. there we go. Back once more. I'm here. 
<laughs> You're having a ball today, Jeff. Anyway, so Mr. Gelfand, very quickly, uh, Mr. Gelfand, I want him to tell you the story about I'm looking at him. We're on the air together. I look at Studio B. He's got his face in his hands. He's, he's kind of looking really, really sad. And on the air in front of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people, I said, Mike, what's wrong? And now, Mr. Gelfand, if you tell Mr. Foxworthy what was wrong, I appreciate it. Yeah, I don't know. I had so many neuroses at the time, but yeah. I think it was a combination of, uh, of having basic depression and having to get up like at four thirty in the morning, which is my bedtime. That'll do it, no question. But it had something to do with, if I remember correctly, it had something to do with uh, your marriage, if I remember correctly. Oh yeah, well right. <laughs> that we were having some rare problems with the marriage, and and it had occurred to me at the time that. Uh, you know, I, I, it was one of those epiphanies when I realized that the only thing my wife and I had in common was that we both hated me. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite jokes of all time. And we can close it. I went, Jeff Fox, when he comes See, I knew you'd love that joke. See, Mike, I knew it'd be a hit. Oh. It's the greatest. October 30th, two shows, 5 p.m., 7 30. Isn't it, isn't it the greatest? Jeff Fox will be in town at the Pantages Theater, October yeah, 30th, love, two love. shows, 5 and 7.30. Jeff, I look forward to seeing you in town. It'll be great to see you. Thank you, my friend. Thanks for having me back on. Have a terrific weekend. You too. Thanks very much. We'll talk to you tomorrow with the family. Yeah.